0: morning. It's a little bit different this morning, doing two services. Can I just be honest with you? Um, I, was, uh, I was a little bit anxious this week, you know, getting ready for Easter service, and my first one as a senior pastor, and I just kept thinking, Jared, don't blow it, whatever you do, you know, don't make sure your zipper is up, you know, make sure you, as a matter of fact, okay, it is, just wanted to make sure. I, I said that, and I thought, I didn't check. Uh, What am I doing? I don't know what's wrong with me. See, it's the anxiety. Look, this is just your senior pastor. I am a hot mess. It's just all there is to it. Um, Yeah, I'll never live that down. I promise you I won't say that during the second service. I don't know where that came from. Uh, Is my face like the same color as my shirt? Yeah, all right. I don't know what's going on with me. On A hot pink mess, yeah. On Monday night, um, was it Monday or Tuesday? We were watching the computer. Um, On Monday night, my alma mater, or it was Tuesday night, my alma mater, Mid-America Christian University, was was playing in the NAIA National Championship game. They've only been in the NAIA for, I think, either six or nine years, so they're relatively new. They played in the NCCAA before that. And uh, so this was a really big deal. We're a really small school. I think we have, like, 400 on-campus students at our university and, you know, quite a few, a little bit more than that, maybe 600. It's something kind of small, and uh, so it's a big deal for us to be playing for the NAIA National Championship game. This is only the second year that they've ever made it to the playoffs, Last year, I think they won maybe one or two games and made it to the Sweet 16. Um, So this was a really big deal. And so it was on ESPN3. Um, I think they have, like, ESPN10. So it was only on the computer. And so Haley and I are, like, huddled around my laptop, or actually the – we started out with an iPad, and we're huddled around the iPad, and we're watching ESPN3 so we can watch this NAIA game. And they were playing playing Georgetown. Now, not the Georgetown, but Georgetown, Kentucky – um which is uh which is they're like regulars in the NEA National Championship. They they've been to the playoffs 31 times. This was our second. Um, they've played in the National Championship game six times and they won the National Championship in 2013. And so on on the the announcers and everybody was kind of billing this to be like the David versus Goliath of the NAIA, now, they were the number one seed in the whole tournament. I think we were the number four seed in our region, so it probably meant we were either four, five, six, or seven, something like that. It was, we weren't ranked, ranked very high. And so we were watching this game, and it doesn't start out good. I mean, within like the first four mo- minutes, we were down by 16 points. In the first four minutes, I mean, they were just like launching threes they hit their first seven threes in a row. They didn't even miss. And so the announcers were just like, hey, this is not looking good. This could be one of those blowout national championship games that all of us would be disappointed in, especially all the MACU fans. And, um, but, but they just kept saying, if Mid-America will just hang around, anything can happen. And so they hung around, right at about 16 points, 15 points, 14 points. And the announcers kept saying, if, if they'll just hang around, anything can happen. At halftime, they were down by 11. And the announcer said, if, they'll, if Georgetown just lets Mid-America hang around, anything can happen. Well, in the third quarter, things got a little crazy. Actually, in the second half, because there's not quarters in, ba- in college basketball, there's halves. So in the second half, anything could happen, happened. And they went on a run, and they tied the game in five minutes. within five minutes of the, the second half. They just they couldn't miss anything. They were launching threes. But then Georgetown went on another round, and they were down by 12 just like that. And so it was one of those games where they would tie it, and then they would get down by 12. And they would tie it, and they would get down by 12. And they would tie it, and they would get down by 12. I was like an emotional roller coaster, right? I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Are we going to do this? Are we going to pull this out? Well, the end of the game is winding down. And Mid-America actually ties it, and they go into overtime. Remember, they are down by 16, down by 12, down by 14, and they tie it and go into overtime. And then in overtime, the miracle of all miracles happens, and they actually get up for once in the game, and they have a two-point lead with 17 seconds left. No, it was a, yeah, two-point lead with 17 seconds left in the game. Georgetown comes down, and they have the ball, and they're pushing really hard, and the guy drives into the lane and kicks it to a corner to a guy who hasn't played a single minute of the game. He was just a short little white kid. He was like five foot seven, hadn't played, and guess what he does? He hits a three. And so Georgetown goes up by one with four seconds to go. And Haley and I just looked at each other and we were like, there's no hope. I mean,. We clawed back, we got the lead, and then some little white kid that hasn't played all game long hits a three to, to take the game and steal it from us with four seconds to go. We're looking at each other, we're like, well, I mean, we're alma mater, but it wasn't that big a deal to me. At least I thought it wasn't that big a deal, but I was a little disappointed. And then all of a sudden, this happens with four seconds to go. Do you have that video clip? It's going to happen really quick. Four seconds. And Haley and I just, like, jumped up. We're, like, hugging each other. The guy drove the length of the court in four seconds, hit, like, a little fadeaway, contested, two-point shot to win by one. And we were, like, screaming and texting everybody. We hadn't even been at the school forever. It was like, what is going on with us? There seemed to be no hope. And then they pulled it out in the end. Now look back with me or think back to me to this first Easter. It's not really Easter at that point, but this first moment. And where the disciples are in this journey. The disciples are like hidden away, depressed, because the person that they loved, the person that they were following, the person that they considered their rabbi and teacher has now been killed. I mean, these, these, these followers, on, on, on Friday night, we kind of walk through this idea that it was a not-so-good Friday? I mean, if you think from Peter's perspective, Peter was the disciple that, that that was following Jesus everywhere. You know, he went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and, and he walked on water towards Jesus. And, you know, and, and, and Jesus said that he was the rock in which he was going to build his church. And, and then on Friday, Peter has this experience where Jesus is being beaten and tortured. And this person says, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? And Peter says, I don't even know that guy because he was afraid. And, and 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 at that point, you know, Jesus looked across him at the courtyard and, you know, and they made eye contact and the rooster crowed. And, the, and the, the scripture says that Peter just ran, you know, in just complete brokenness because he had betrayed and denied the person that he said he loved the most. And Peter's gone. I mean, he's he's running, he's afraid, he's it's It's not a good day, there wasn't a whole lot of hope. Think about his mother, Mary, you know, who watched her son be crucified and killed. I mean, Good Friday was not a very good day, but then Sunday morning comes, and hope is restored. Look at the passage of the scripture I put in your notes, and this is what it says this is matthew twenty eight It says early on Sunday morning. As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. It says, Then the angel spoke to the women, Do not be afraid. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. Come, see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angels' message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. And then this is what Peter writes later in 1 Peter. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. I want you to circle those two words, living hope. says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Easter shows us that there's hope. What is there hope for? Well, the first thing is this, is that there's hope that evil doesn't there's hope that evil doesn't win. Look, I can't stand movies where the bad guy wins. This is like a new fad in movies today where, you know, where, where bad guys, you know, win. It's like the Batman, you know, when it was relaunched. The Joker wins. You know, if you remember the, the Joker and Heath Ledger and Batman and, you know, he, they, they go to battle and, and uh, Harvey Dent gets scarred and becomes evil and Batman's girlfriend. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm spoiling it for you. It's a long time ago. Hopefully you've all seen it. You know, Batman's girlfriend is killed and Batman has to run off into the distance because he's now a vigilante. They think he did it. I mean, evil wins in that movie. I absolutely hate it. You know, if you've seen the movie No Country for Old Men, the bad guy wins. i I've spoiled that for you. I'm really sorry, but I can't stand movies where the bad guy wins. It's a really good movie, but I, but I don't like it. Why? Why is this happening more and more? It's because people are becoming cynical. We see it in our world where it seems like in our world, in our lives, the bad guy wins, right? I mean, corporate greed takes advantage of the little guy, and the bad guy wins. Governments let people down, the bad guy wins. Scandals in churches and with our leaders, the bad guy wins. Sickness, the bad guy wins. It seems like the good guy doesn't win anymore. And that Friday, 2,000 years ago, it seemed like the bad guy one, the ultimate bad guy, that Satan thought he had defeated love, that Jesus had been killed, but you can't keep a good guy down. Evil doesn't win, ever. God doesn't allow it. Circumstances may seem dire, but the scripture tells us that the full story hasn't been written. Listen to what Jesus says. I'll put this in your notes. John sixteen thirty three. This is one of his last moments with his disciples, right before he's going to be crucified and taken to the cross. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Okay, I want you to have peace. However, in this world you will have trouble. It's like, thanks a lot, Jesus. I appreciate that kick in the face. He's saying this world is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be tough. You're going to have trouble. But then he says this. Read it with me. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, look, life is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to face difficult things. But can I tell you, I have overcome the world. Take heart. Have peace. Paul writes this in Romans, in Romans eight twenty eight. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, you have to understand the scripture doesn't say that all things are good or that all things will feel good or that all things... Are, are, are just good for you. But he says that in, in all things, God works for good. And so whatever circumstance, whatever situation, how difficult it may be, the scripture promises that God can take whatever difficulty you face and make it good. He can make it good. There's a story by a pastor by the name of Andy Stoddard. He, written this, he wrote this shortly after the, marathon, the Boston Marathon bombing. He says, April 16th is not my favorite day of the year. This is the day that I remember the power of evil and sin to destroy lives. And it's the day that reminds me that in the journey of my life, in our lives, that evil doesn't win. And teach, and, and each of us, we know the power of evil. We see it in the world. We saw it on 9-11. We witnessed it yesterday in Boston. And many, many lives were forever changed and disrupted. We have seen... The, We have seen the force and power of evil. Evil has its moment, but evil doesn't win. That said, I don't like April 16th. On April 16th, 1978, my mother was murdered. I've always called her Mama Sarah. She was killed as she was walking out of our house with me in her arms. She was walking out of the house because she did not want me raised in an abusive situation, in a situation full of drugs and destruction. She was walking out of the house because she wanted me to have a better life. She was walking out of the house because she loved me. And in that, she laid down her life for me, literally. I sometimes tell folks that I have a burden and blessing in my life of having two people lay down their life for me, Jesus and Mama Sarah. And every day I wake up and know that I am here. I give thanks for no greater love. I give thanks that I literally should not be here. And if you've ever wondered why I'm a little ADD on the ADD side, this is why. I'm not going to waste a second that God has given me. And every time I look at my daughter Sarah and mourn over the fact that she will never know her grandmother that she was named for, I give thanks for no greater love. I've experienced in my life the power of evil to bring destruction. But I've also seen this. I've seen that evil doesn't win. See, when Mama Sarah died, I was adopted by her mother and stepfather. I call them Mama and Daddy because they because that's who they are. By the way, if you want to know the power of evil, consider this. Mama Sarah was murdered on her mother's birthday, April 16th, and she was buried on my birthday, April 18th. Evil has its moment, but it doesn't win. I was adopted and raised by my mommy and daddy, and I've had... And if I had not been raised by them, I wouldn't have been raised in the church. I was raised in, which means that I would not be a Christian, which means that I may not be a preacher, which means that I'm, I may not be here doing what I'm doing, and I, and I may not be affecting your lives and your faith, and I hadn't been raised by my adopted parents, I wouldn't have gone on missions where I met my wife, which means I wouldn't have met her, which means I wouldn't have my family today. God brought good out of this terrible tragedy. Was, was my mother's murder a good thing? No, of course not. My heart aches for it. But the power of God is not that he stops bad things from happening. It's that he can bring good out of evil, out of anything, even the worst of evil. Evil doesn't win. My life is a testament to that. All things will work for our good and his glory. And I am thankful. It may look bad, but know this, evil doesn't win. Let us have that hope, and let us rejoice even in our tears. I love what he writes. Evil has its moments, but it doesn't win. Whatever evil you're facing in your life, I just want to remind you, it may be difficult, it may have its moments, but it doesn't win. That's what Easter tells us. Not only does Easter tell us that, but Easter tells us, That there's a hope that God forgives. I read this cute cute little story online. It says, there was a little boy in a supermarket one day with his mother. He was having a particularly bad day. And his mother had forbidden him to touch anything else in the shop. Ladies, have you ever been there before? It says, while mom was going up an aisle and she heard a huge crash. And she turned around to see her son standing with a can in his hand beside an aisle full of cans he decided to grab a can from the bottom of the display and sit hundreds tumbling down. Well, his mom's face went bright red in a mixture of embarrassment and anger, and she stormed down the aisle, picked the boy up, and placed him firmly in the child seat. Don't you dare move another inch, young man. After a few moments had gone by, the boy plucked up some courage and said, Mommy, you said the other day that when God forgives our, our, our sins, he buries them at, at the bottom of the deepest ocean, didn't you? She said, yes, son, mom replied through clenched teeth. And you said that that it didn't matter what we did, that God would never drag those things up again, didn't you? Yes, son. Well, mommy, I've got a feeling that when we get home, you're going to go fishing. (laughs) How many of you have ever felt like that mom before? It's time to go fishing for what you kids have done wrong. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But ain't that the truth, that it's so good that God doesn't treat us the same way? The scripture says that when he forgives, he forgives completely. I mean, think about this story at this point. Remember where Peter is. Remember how Peter betrayed. Remember how Peter disappointed. Um, How could Jesus have responded? He could have said, you know, Peter, you let me down. You know, you've blown it. You had a chance to stand up for me. You didn't. You're not one of my disciples anymore. You thought you were going to be the rock I'm going to build this church on. But you're not a rock. You're a marshmallow and you're out of here. Well, I don't know if they had marshmallows in, but you're not who I thought you were. I thought you were strong. I thought you were bold. I thought you would stand for me and even be willing to die for me. That's what Jesus could have said. But that's not what Jesus said. If you look at the scripture, Mark 16, 6-7, six it's another It's another um, uh, view of, of the resurrection. It says, but the angel said to the women, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, this is beautiful. I underlined it. Now, go and tell his disciples, what does it say next, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. It's like Jesus is saying, I need you to go tell the disciples. But I also need you to go find Peter. Because I know Peter's down. I know he thinks that I don't love him. I know he's crushed. I know his spirit is broken. I know that he's in a dark place. So you've got to tell them and you've got to tell Peter. I, I am here. I'm alive. Everything's going to be okay. He's forgiven. He's forgiven. In the last chapter of the book of John, there's an incredible, beautiful story where, where Peter's out in a boat fishing with some of the other disciples, and they see this guy standing on the shoreline, and they haven't caught anything all night long. It's, I guess the disciples were terrible fishermen because that happened often. So they've been out fishing, and they haven't caught anything, and they're, they're going back to the, the, the shore, and before they get there, they see this gentleman, and the guy says, hey, before you come in, take your nets and throw it out to the right. Um, I think you'll catch something there. This is a Jared paraphrase, right? And, um, and the disciples do. And when they, when they do, it says that the net just became filled with large fish. And they have one of those aha moments because that's happened before when Jesus told them to do that when he first met them. And so, so the, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, says, hey, I, I think that's Jesus. And Jesus puts on his clothes, his cloak, and he dives into the water, and he swims to shore. And there when he gets to shore, Jesus has a breakfast set up for him. And him and Jesus have breakfast together. He says He's cooking some fish, and he looks, at, he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, of course you know that I love you. And he says, take care of my sheep. Then he says it again, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course, Lord, I, I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs. And then a third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And and I think at this point, it's beginning to kind of ring in Peter's head, you know, that he denied Jesus three times, and here's Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then, Then take care of my sheep. It's like Jesus was grabbing Peter by the life, And he's saying, I know you disappointed. I know you ran. I know you feel broken. I know you feel like you can never be forgiven. But if you love me, I love you, and you are forgiven. You are restored back to a place of leadership in my church. You are forgiven, son. The scripture, 1 John 1, 9. Read it with me. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. It doesn't hold any limitations. It doesn't say just certain sins or the small sins or, 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 the, or the ones. It just says if you confess your sins, all of them, whatever, that Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Micah 7, 8. It says, where is another God like you? 7, 18, and 19. It says, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of a special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in, the showing, of, uh, uh, delight in showing unfailing love. I love this. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins. You won't trample us. You'll trample our sins under your feet and you'll throw them into the depths of the ocean. What a beautiful promise. That if we will repent, if we'll admit, if we will confess that, that God will take all of that junk, he'll trample it and he'll discard it, never to be brought up again. Ever. My friend Robin Wood tells a story about a little boy named Johnny. Johnny a, and his sister Susie were staying with their grandparents' house for a few weeks during the summer. You know how parents like to ship their kids off. you know, Get away, go to your grandparents' for a little bit. Well, right before they left, his dad gave him a slingshot. And he said, this slingshot, it's only to be used for cans and targets. You don't ever shoot your slingshot at any animals. We don't, we don't do that in our family. You know, Johnny being a little bit of a boy, you know, he had his slingshot. Man, he was out there every day, and he was terrible. I mean, he would set cans up. He'd stand a target, and there was nothing. I mean, he couldn't hit that target for. Anything. He wouldn't even get close. He was awful at his slingshot, but he loved playing with it. And one day he was out there, and he had that slingshot, you know, and he was going to town, and he was shooting at cans, and he couldn't hit anything. I mean, he was awful with it. And then all of a sudden he saw his grandmother's favorite duck. His grandmother's favorite duck came waddling by real far away on the other side of the yard, and Johnny was like, look, I can't hit anything. I've shot cans. I can't hit it. I'm just going to try to shoot the duck in the rear end. That would be really funny. So he pulls back that slingshot and lets it go. And in all craziness, it misses the rear end of the duck, and it hits it in the head, killing it instantly. What Johnny didn't know was that his sister Susie was there to witness the whole thing. She was like, oh! I'm telling Grandma, you killed her favorite duck. And Johnny was like, no! No! I'll do anything. Don't tell grandmother I killed her favorite duck. She said, okay, I won't tell grandmother, but you're going to have to do all my chores for the rest of the time that we're here at grandmother's house. John's like, I'm not going to do all. Oh, you're going to do all of them. or I'll tell her right now. You know how big sisters are, right? (laughs) I'll tell her right now. Johnny's like, fine, fine. I'll do all your chores. And that night at dinner, you know, they were having dinner together and it's time to clean up. And grandma says, okay, Susie, it's time for you to do the dishes. And She looked, and she said, no, I'm not doing the dishes today. Johnny and I already talked, and Johnny said that he would do the dishes for me. Johnny looked, I did not. She looked at him. She said, oh, yes, you did. And she whispered really closely in his ear, remember the duck? Oh, I'll do the dishes. And so he got up, and he started doing the dishes. The next day, grandmother had a long list of chores, longer than normal list of chores, and raking the yard and pulling the weeds and, and uh, and and you know she was divvying up between the two grandkids and she says, Susie, you're doing these and Johnny you're doing these, and Susie said, I don't have to do them. Johnny said that he would do all my chores for me because he loves me so much. Johnny said, I did not say that. Oh yes, you did. Remember the duck. And he stomped, he said, I'll do your chores. And that night at dinner, the dishes were ready to be done again. And Johnny's already done them two nights in a row. He's got to do it a third night in a row. It's time for dishes. And he stands there and he's putting his fist in his pocket. And she looks at him and she says, you remember the duck? And he said, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. I won't do these dishes. I won't do your chores. Grandmother, I killed your favorite duck and I'm so sorry. But she's been making me do your chores. And the grandmother looked at him and she said, I know. I've known all along. I was looking out of the kitchen window when I saw you kill that duck. And I was just wondering how long you would suffer doing these chores before you realized and confessed. You see, I I forgave you the moment you killed that duck. You just had to ask for forgiveness. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but I do know I feel like that a lot. Man, I beat myself up over my mistakes. I ridicule myself. I wallow in my guilt. And all along, God's standing there saying, I forgave you the moment you did it. All you had to do was confess. You see, Easter, Easter, there's hope. Just like Peter, that we can find forgiveness. See, there's also hope that there's a new life available. See, not only does God forgive... But Easter shows us that we can have a brand new start to our lives. The beginning of this this year, I did a sermon series called A Brand New You, and we talked about a brand new start to our finances, to our body, to to stress, to our family. But the hardest thing to change is me. The hardest thing for you to change is you. Some people only change when they're forced to change. It's like the guy who went to confession with the priest, and he went to the room, and he said, I'm changing my ways, Father. And the priest said, so, have you finally seen the light, my son? He said, no, Father, I haven't seen the light. I felt the heat. (laughs) There are two people, there are two reasons why people change. They either feel the heat or they see the light. Feeling the heat forces us to change. Seeing the light inspires us to change. Easter shows us the light and that ultimately God creates change in us. Romans 6, 4 says, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, read this last part with me, now we may also live new lives. We live new lives because Christ was buried and rose again. We have an opportunity to live a new life in Him. 1 Corinthians six eleven, Paul's writing to a really messed up church in Corinth. I mean, they did it all. They were wicked. They were, And, and so in, in six, chapter 6, verse 10, he's listing all of these sins. And he's like, you know, adultery and witchcraft and dot, dot, dot. And he says, some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our see, the scripture says, no matter if, if we don't feel it, that the truth is, is that we have a new life born inside of us. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you get a fresh start. You see, the church is full of stories. They're stories of, I used to be. I used to be a liar. I used to be a drunk. I used to use drugs. I used to be selfish. I, live, I used to live my life all for me. I used to cheat. I used to be lost, I used to be depressed, I used to be angry, afraid, I used to be. But God has made us new, God has made us right, and God loved us enough to change us and give us a new name. See, now we're hopeful, now we're forgiven, now we're blessed, now we're loved, now we're changed, it's a new life. See, there's hope that a new life is available. And the last thing is, is that because of Easter, there's hope that death isn't the end. One of my great privileges, and I count it as a great privilege as a pastor, is to walk with a family as they celebrate the life and mourn the passing of someone they love. And it's always a great reminder to me when I have the privilege to do that, that death isn't the end. You see, every person on the planet wants to know what, happened, what happens when they die. And they have all kinds of different theories and religions. And some of them, they're absorbed into earth's power. Some of them, they're reincarnated. And if they lived a good life, then they're a little bit better reincarnated. If they lived a bad life, then they're like a roach or something like that. To some people, it's just a vast nothingness. It's just emptiness, and it's over. See, there's this anxiousness, this fear of what happens after death. But as followers of Jesus, we have, what does the scripture say that we read earlier? We have a living hope. That even in death, we truly live. The beauty of this life is that it's not the end. It's just a warm-up to eternal life and what's waiting for us because of Jesus Christ. See, there's hope that death isn't the end. John 11, 25 and 26 says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die i love that never ever will never ever die revelation 21:4 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever the beauty of easter that if we confess our sins if we join into our relationship with him, that there's new life and that death isn't the end. There's eternal life. New life here and eternal life for him, with him. This morning, we're going to celebrate Easter by taking communion together. I ask my two volunteers to get ready to pass out the elements. And as we do, maybe this is just a moment for you to just lean into the Lord. Maybe you need to think about this idea that, that evil doesn't win. Maybe you've had one of those weeks or one of those months or one of those years where things just don't seem to be right. Maybe this morning, as you take communion, you can just confess that, God, I need a victory through you. I need to remember that you have conquered all things. Maybe this morning you need to find God's grace and forgiveness. Maybe you haven't entered into a relationship with him and started that new journey of life with him. Maybe as you take communion, it's an opportunity to just confess and say, God, Just in your own way, in your heart, in your mind, just say, God, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short and I need you to forgive me. I want a relationship with you. Maybe today it's the opportunity for you to start a new life and to have that assurance of eternal life with him.